morning, everybody. For those of you at home in the balcony, we're so glad to have everyone here. We are uh, engaging now in the third installment of this Faith and Culture series as we look at the church and hypocrisy. Question, any, any hypocrites in the house this morning? Just raise your hand. Now, those of you at home, I asked the 930. I've uh, got a lot of hands in the air. Before the service, I asked our praise team and production crew back in the green room. They all not only raised their hand, they hooped and hollered about being hypocrites. So uh, stay with me and we'll see if you answer that question a little differently as you more seriously consider what Jesus uh, really, really had to, to say about it. Two questions as we begin this morning. The first is, what is the good life? If you were to define it, how would you define the good life? Advertisers bombard us on the daily. Researchers, experts say thousands of messages we are inundated with on the daily basis. Buy this, try this, travel here. Here is the good life. And one philosopher noted recently that none of what advertisers are trying to sell us will be mentioned at our funerals. So let's get it right when we consider what is the good life. The second question, who is a good person? Take a look at person number one. This is one of the original OGs, original gangsters from the mob family. Y'all recognize Al Capone, right? Uh, Al Capone was known for setting up soup kitchens during the Great Depression, uh, providing milk for school children, and sending thousands of dollars worth of flowers to rival gang members' funerals. Oh, by the way, and he was also known for being a violent, ruthless killer, mass killer, I might add. So was he a good person to do bad? Was he a bad person who, in crazy ways, was able at times to perform acts of goodness? Isn't it kind of fascinating to consider that? The second person, uh, you, t- you guys tell me who is this. Do you recognize this person here in the house or at home? This is Jerry Falwell Jr., who took over for his dad at Liberty University. He was the president, longtime president. His goal was to make Liberty University uh, the, the Protestant Notre Dame. And he built a great fortune. And some of you probably follow these headlines tawdry soap opera. Money, sex, and power. It seems to always be money, sex, and power. And he had to resign uh, this week, forced to resign with a, because of a yacht and a party and pictures and a lot of, of bad things. Is he a bad person who occasionally did great things for the kingdom? Is he a good person who just stumbled into bad? Is he a hypocrite? Are you a hypocrite? Jesus used a word. He had a word to define the good life. You recognize this word? It's been hijacked by people, but this word, blessed. He used this word to say, this is the good life. Jesus made the most famous statements about the good life that anyone ever made. He made the most surprising statements about the good life that anyone ever made. Blessed, you are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those uh, who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for they for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children 
of God. No one spoke more famously about the good life than Jesus. No one spoke more surprisingly about the good life than Jesus. Jesus, over 2,000 years ago, said to us, and I bet it can stir every heart in the room and every mind if you think about it, Jesus warned us and Jesus invited us and he wanted us to get on a course where we would realize we could buy into lies about happiness. We could, we could get it all wrong by thinking this is the good life. This is what all these people told me is the good life. And so I went after that, but I could be wrong. So Jesus had a word for the good life. It's the word blessed. And Jesus had a word for what would prevent too many from experiencing the good life. And it's this word. It's our word for today. It's the word hypocrisy. We'll learn a little bit about its origins in a second. But this word, when I ask you if you are one, listen, hypocrisy is not when you and I as broken, flawed, sinful people don't live up to our ideals. Hypocrisy is not you struggling to be a perfect follower of Jesus. Hypocrisy, according to Jesus, has to do with greed and indulgence and deceit. Okay? So are you a hypocrite? Look, I hope some of you aren't that raised your hands. And if you raised your hand on the praise team earlier, you're fired. Hypocrisy. Let me show you a picture of a first century city that was located of just around an hour's walk, an hour's walk from Nazareth. This is Sephora, and this is the remnants of, you can tell, of an ancient theater we traveled there in 2018, amazing country, of course, because it's beauty, but mostly, of course, because of its history. And you'll see Sephora there, a city, as I said, an hour walk from Nazareth. And there they had theaters like the one that you see pictured. They had actors on a stage. And so likely, this isn't directly in the Bible, but being there and studying archaeology and the proximity, geography and everything, uh, I would bet that a man named Joseph took a young carpenter son, Jesus, to this city. And I bet Jesus, as a builder with his dad, I bet he was very aware of the theater. I bet he was aware of actors. And we'll go into the origins of hypocrisy. We see a photo of it here. Hypocrite comes from the Greek word here, which means an actor. In those days, the time of Jesus, there weren't actresses, there were men. All the roles were played by men, even the role of the female. And so these men, whether comedy or tragedy, whatever they were doing, they would put on a mask to assume their next role. Mask wearing is encouraged today. Wearing a mask can be a good thing. The experts are telling us that it can mitigate the spread of this virus. Here's a guy who showed up a few years back. Apparently, when you win the lottery, you must be present to win. Here's a guy who wore a scream mask because he won millions of dollars and didn't want anybody in his family to realize he had won. So a mask can hide you. In, in our day, it can protect you, protect other people. All throughout history, in our day-to-day, -day, a mask can hide you. A mask can fool people. You can be an actor. You can be a pretender. You can even blatantly be a con artist. Isn't that what you do when someone falls? When we look at the media, we look at our screens, we're, ah, oh, hypocrite. And we, you know, what's the level of the hypocrisy? What's the level of it? Were they just blatantly a con artist where they said, I'm going to grub for money here and I'm going to fool people. I'm going to just 
straight up be an actor? Or is it softer and more subtle than that? So the word for the good life is blessed. The word that prevents us from experiencing the good life is the word hypocrisy. I want to show you a picture. These are concentric circles. When Jesus, um, and by the way, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 23. We did this at the 930, Matthew 23. There, are, there, there is in this chapter seven woes. All right, seven woes. If you wanted a soft, easy sermon today to make you feel good, probably not the day here. Don't check out, but not the day. But these are seven woes that have to do with punishment and condemnation. One of the things that draws me to Jesus is when he said in John 3, 17, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world. I came to save it. But the judgment that he offers is not to the outsiders. It's not to the struggler. It's to the religious person who's deceiving himself and others. So in a moment, we'll get to Matthew 23. But here he addresses in Matthew 23, would love for you to read the whole chapter later today or sometime soon. But in this chapter, he addresses the scribes, the Pharisees, and the hypocrites. And he calls them that, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the hypocrites. They loved the law. They took the law in a very literal way, the civil ceremonial laws and everything that had uh, come to pass that were circumstantial, situational in a history and context. They took these laws, the 250 commandments, the 365 prohibitions from the law of the Old Testament. They took them and they weren't enough. Now listen, if you give me 248 commandments, 365 prohibitions, I'm going to say enough. I'm not going to add to it. I'm going to ask you to take off about 247 there and about 364 there, all right? So I can live. I can maybe live with a couple of commandments. But for the scribes and the Pharisees, the hypocrites, the teachers of the law, they weren't enough. And so you see the Mishnah and the Jamara, you see them adding. Those would later... Uh, be compiled to the Talmud. These were, uh, these were extra rules about the rules. The rules weren't enough. So they had rules about the laws, about the rules that they wanted other people to follow. And that leads us into hypocrisy. Kind of a famous story about Mark Twain from yesteryear. He was listening to a a buddy, someone he knew, this was an unscrupulous businessman who was standing nearby him. He was selfish and greedy and mean. And he was bragging and droning on and on about a trip he was going to take. He was going to use some of his money. And he, this man declared, I'm going to go to the Middle East and I'm going to read the Ten Commandments from the top of Mount Sinai. And Mark Twain allegedly responded, hey, I got an idea, a better idea. Why don't you stay here and keep them? Hypocrisy is when we declare the laws and the rules and how we're going to do good. But in our declaration of that, we miss actually applying them to our lives. So this morning, note takers, I'm giving you a cue now. I want to give you, we'll go in rapid fire fashion. Again, don't check out. But I want to give you five hard truths about hypocrisy. Five hard truths about hypocrisy from various teachings of the Bible quickly. And then from Matthew 23, I want to uh, get you, encourage you to, uh, well, let me put it like this. I'm going to share with you five piercing questions that have helped me. Not reach some level of spiritual sainthood, not reach some level near perfection, but just to grow in my authenticity. Listen, per our question at the outset, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite. So five, ready? Five hard truths about hypocrisy. Here is the first. First thing about hypocrisy, it's a sickness that brings punishment. 
All right, let's go with the hard truth today. This, it's a sickness, according to Jesus, that brings punishment. Mark 12, 40. Again, to the scribes, the, the Pharisees, teachers of the law, the hypocrites, they were profiting off the poor, the orphan and the widow. Aren't you glad civilizations got so advanced? There's nobody in religion today that's taking tithes and offerings and profiting on the backs of poor people. Isn't that, aren't you glad we've reached a, a level of civilization, evolution? They devour widows' houses and for a show, they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Hypocrisy, the meanness, the deceit, and the greed, and the exploitation and oppression of other people will be punished. Jesus didn't mince his words. For context, you'll never, ever find Jesus being harsh on an outsider. When someone was looked down on, when someone was left out, you'll never one time see Jesus being hard on an outsider. But you will see in a moment in Matthew 23 and the parallel verses of the Gospels, you'll see him bringing the thunder on deceit. So, first hard truth, hypocrisy is a sickness that brings punishment. Secondly, hypocrisy is a disease that affects the heart. It gets you on the inside, from the inside. Two passages here, kicking it back to some other guys of old, Isaiah and Jeremiah, who themselves issued some woes. Prophets declare some things. Prophets bring the thunder. They, they shout and they warn us. And why? Any guesses to why? We need it. If you come today and you're living with an over-flattering idea of the human condition, can I just, I mean, come on. Y'all, anybody see what happened this week? Law enforcement officials in Georgia went into two trailer parks and discovered 39 children that had been missing that had been human trafficked. And it really, it wasn't a lead story. Anybody? Like that didn't lead. Some of you may not even be aware of that. Law enforcement officials went into two trailers in Georgia and discovered 39 missing children, some of them very small, that have been exploited and trafficked. Sin of hypocrisy, sin of meanness and deceit. It's a sickness that brings punishment and it affects our hearts. So we need some prophets today. We need compassion, yes, but we need justice also. And that's what these guys give us. Jesus would quote this verse in Matthew 15, but let's look at Isaiah's version, chapter 29 and verse 13. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Hypocrites, their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. That last part, those of you at home, those of you in the house, I said this to our 930 service, but in Jackson, Mississippi, man, that's, that's some of us. That could be a lot of us. Your faith, you have not made your faith your own. It's been handed down and it's human and it's traditional and it's borrowed. And that, that kind of starting faith will never be a staying faith. You ever wonder where we get the expression, oh, they're just paying lip service. Have you said that about anybody? Oh, they're just, they're just paying lip service. What's the idea there? They said it. And they don't mean it. And folks, that destroys relationships. If you live under a roof with someone, 
or you're sitting next to someone you want to live under the roof with them one day, trust destroys relationships when someone says something and doesn't back it up. And we're all prone, aren't we? We're all prone. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his grace. uh, Jeremiah 9, 8, their tongue is a deadly arrow. Who? Hypocrites. It speaks deceitfully. With their mouths, they all speak cordially to their neighbors, but in their hearts, they set traps for them. I don't know if it's true, but some people say this is harder for Southerners. Uh, We're to your face. We're warm, man. We're bringing you a casserole. We're going to talk good to you, about you. We love you, man. But in their hearts, they set traps for them. Sin or hypocrisy, listen, it's a sickness that brings punishment and is a disease that affects the heart. Note takers, I don't have this on the screen. Write down Psalm 26, I'm sorry, Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4. Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4, and then James 4, 8. And there it says, two parallel passages, old and new, it says, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. James 4, 8, wash your hands. Also on CDC material I've seen laying around. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. I don't know if you saw this. This is a minor news story, but look at this bucket of chicken from KFC. Marketers from KFC got together and they decided in light of COVID-19 that they're not going to use the marketing campaign finger licking good. Did y'all see that? So they took that off. So it's, it's still good chicken, but it's not finger licking good. So you can't touch your face. You can't lick your fingers during COVID. A clean hand and a pure heart. And here's what Jesus would want all of us to know. And religious people get funny about this. Religious people miss this. But clean hands flow from a pure heart. Third thing, uh, hard truth about hypocrisy. It's so contagious, it affects uh, other people. Luke 12, 1, Jesus talks about bread and dough and leaven. And he teaches us something about the spread of it. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, I'm going to give Jesus the benefit of the doubt. He probably had someone else in in crowd control, right? They were trampling on each other. So he had security who were handling that for him, but he doesn't tackle the physical situation, but the spiritual situation condition and he is saying look if you have yeast in in dough and bread you know what it does if you have yeast or you don't you have dough bread over here that doesn't have yeast if you put this into there what's it going to do it's going to affect and that's what hypocrisy is and it's why the psalmist would say this in his devotion to God in Psalm 26 4 he put it this way everybody needs to hear this not just young people I do not sit with the deceitful nor do I associate with hypocrites. It's so contagious, you better be careful. Hypocrisy and deceit can bring you down. It'll spread and it'll affect you. Fourth hard thing about hard truth about hypocrisy, it harms our witness. Anybody need to anybody need to know this? I mean, we just know this, don't we? One of the number one reasons that people don't jump into a church is because of all the hypocrites. There's too many hypocrites at the church. 
Look what Paul would say to the church at Rome. This is Romans 2, 19 to 24. If you're convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles, that would be the world or outsiders, because of you. Hypocrisy harms our witness. And the final thing, this is both convicting and it's comforting. And I hope some of you will leave or tune out today at home with some comfort from Christ. No one diagnosed it and denounced it with more power than Jesus. Nobody diagnosed it and denounced it with more power than Jesus did. And so we come to Matthew 23. We see the scribes and the Pharisees, the hypocrites, the teachers of the law. These guys love the law. Friday night a week ago, I went to my favorite high school's first football game. My youngest kid plays on the team. He's an 11th grader. I was in attendance, excited about the game with the conditions happening in our world today. The crowd was somewhat limited, a lot better than I thought. And early in the game, one of one of our kids got an interception. It was a pick six for the uninitiated of football. That means he intercepted the other team and ran it back for a touchdown. I was excited until I saw a flag. There was a call on the field. It was a chop block, a cutback block, and I thought it was a bad call. And so led by the Holy Spirit, I just shouted out from the 22nd row. I said, hey, hey, come on. That's a bad call. And I always hate bad calls that bring a touchdown back. I didn't think the player was defenseless. He played on the other team, so I'm going to be a little bit biased. But for real, I didn't think think it was a defenseless player. I thought his shoulders were squared. His head was looking at him. I thought it was a good block and a bad call. And I kind of looked around because, you know, I'm a pastor of a local church. I had to make sure that I was kind of okay in instructing the referees of where they had made a mistake. So just a gift that God has given me, a loud voice and just insight into the game of football that I've had from really early childhood. And I'm like, come on, refs, come on, man. And I, I began to notice a couple of guys looking at me and one, an older man, I say this respectfully, but a, a really old guy well, had just had a wry grin at me. And I would discover later that he was the retired head of the officials in the state of Mississippi. He had on a little contraption that was allowing him to speak to the refs on the field in real time i'm up there speaking to them in real time with my voice telling them how they got it wrong he's actually signaling them saying good call would you believe yesterday i went to my mailbox now my office is right here behind this wall but our staff area is on the third floor up here and there's a mailbox for all the staff well yesterday i went in and would you believe in my mailbox is this mississippi football rule book 2020 And on top of that, if I can pull it out of my pack, his somewhere, it's somewhere, but he brought me his business card. I bet he wants to do lunch and talk about it more. He not only brought me the rule book, he highlighted 
where he was right and I was wrong on a chop block. A blindside block is a block against an opponent other than the runner who does not see the blocker approaching. There's all kind of rules in here about what you can do with your hands, cusp hands, open hands, all this stuff. In addition to the business card and the rule book, he didn't think it was enough just to highlight it. He sent me a, he, he left a picture of the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots and a similar call last year in an NFL game with another handout of the rules explained in further detail. Don't you hate, no, don't, don't clap. Don't you, don't you hate people that love the law? I mean, dude may know the law. We'll, we'll debate over lunch one day soon, but does he love and does he love me? Like, where's the love? Here's the thing for real. Man, we got to make sure. I'm going to give you these questions that I ask myself because sometimes, a lot of times, I miss it. So here are five piercing questions from Matthew 23. Now, if you open your Bible, you brought them. I'd love for you to look down. The rest of us will look at the screen. The pagan people will just look at the screen. But here are the five piercing questions. The first one, am I spiritually inauthentic? What level of fake and phony is in your life? The questions I've asked for years is, are you the same person public that you are private? Are you the same person in town as you are out of town. Matthew 23, 25, look in your Bible or look at the screen. Woe to you. Remember, there's seven, seven woes in 23, first chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. At what level are you faking things? And here's what I've known from personal experience, I hate to admit, and from pastoring people through the years, is that when you're fake and phony, it will frustrate you and it will fatigue you. How freeing to walk in the truth. How freeing to just walk in the truth. You've heard the saying with Jesus in John 8, the truth will set you free. And somebody added, but at first it could make you miserable. And some of you, this young generation of parents, look, you're parenting your kids this way. Don't ever be miserable. Don't ever be miserable. Don't ever hear the hard things. Don't ever be warned. Don't ever say anything. Don't ever get people off track. Don't ever make them feel bad. Give everybody a trophy. But are you willing to endure some misery? I know some friends, Susan and I are pastoring some people. Man, they're going through something miserable because they're learning the truth about them. It doesn't flatter them. But will they walk away from the deception and into the truth? I need to do that. You need to do that. Second thing, second question I ask myself, am I becoming judgmental, exclusive, or proud? Don't you hate that? And it's so easy to see it in other people. Verse 6, look down at it or on the screen to it, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues. How do you treat people that can't do anything for you? I told you about my friend, he borrowed this from a leadership guru, but when they're hiring people, they take them out to dinner and they watch several things, but they see how the prospective employee treats the waiter or waitress. 
Is life spiritually for you about hobnobbing and high rolling with heavyweights? Do you walk in a room and go, there's someone and they're not important. They can't do anything for me. But here's someone, there's a power broker. I can align myself to her or him. I can give them my card and connect with them and they can do things for me. Third question, piercing question that I ask, am I becoming more approachable or less? What's the distance between you and other people? What's the distance between people who need to be near you and need to touch you and need to learn from you? Do you know how you have, you have a story? You have a story. One writer says, your mess is your message. Are you approachable about your message, your mess, and letting people get around you? Verse 7, this is about the rabbis and greeting. They love greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. Why? Be called that because they were highly esteemed and people did not touch or get very close to rabbis. But you know what? There came a man who was called rabbi who allowed people to touch him, who was amazingly approachable and interruptible. Look, I get boundaries. Man, I get boundaries. I'm like some of you. I play games with boundaries. I figure out ways to walk out of the building sometimes if certain people are looking for me at certain times. I mean, you got to manage your energy and your time. Absolutely. But are you approachable? And how do you treat everybody? And do you treat everybody the same? Or are you sliding into hypocrisy? Fourth question that's piercing that I ask myself, am I growing weary of pursuing spiritual growth? How heavy is the load in following Jesus? Anybody know Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30? Last time I said, does anybody know a verse? The guy on the second row quoted it, and I promised him lunch, and we went and had lunch. So I'm not going to ask that question. Matthew 11, true story, isn't it? It's a true story. It was Romans 12, 1 and 2, and you quoted it, and then I bought your lunch. Matthew 23, 4 says this. They tie up heavy burdens that hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Parents, let me ask you, if you put a heavy load on your kids and you ain't doing what you're saying, how does that work? Can I tell you how it works? They go to counseling. Now I'm all for counseling. Everybody go to counseling, but they have to go to counseling and they get deep into family origin issues because you put a heavy weight on them that you yourselves couldn't bear or wouldn't bear. And it's not good in any area. And religion, it's just so toxic. Is the load heavy? I'm going to go home and eat lunch and take a nap and then get up and see if I can find my backpack and my tent and probably, sorry, have to go to sports academy. I'm going to leave the next day for a few days in Colorado. It's a much needed vacation going to the Rockies and with a few guys going to hike and hopefully get above 12,000 feet. And these guys have been planning for weeks and they're ready. I'm not ready. I'm not even close to being ready, but I will be by tomorrow. But look, the goal that one of our guys, Tyler said, Hey, I mean, I got my backpack. I packed it. He knows how much it weighs already. Don't carry more than 40 pounds. You got to live for a few days, carry everything you need for a few days, but don't go over 40 pounds. You don't need a heavy load. And the same is true spiritually. For those of you holding on to things and hoarding, does that make you happier? You're playing into an insecurity 
you have about control, but there's no greater happiness than letting go what needs to be let go, throwing out, giving away, making sure the load's not too heavy. Hey, church, listen to me. If you lead at church, if you aspire to lead in church, Acts 15, there was a council in Jerusalem and they came together because like, what matters? There's the Jews and the Gentiles and this thing's getting big and people want in and it's spreading. There are different cultures and different ethnicities and we are becoming a multi-ethnic church. Who can get in and who can get out? Am I becoming, by the way, more judged? judgmental exclusive or proud and they decided with a council with leaders bathed in prayer and the power of the holy spirit they said this in acts 15 we don't want to make it difficult for people to enter the kingdom of heaven and can i tell you churches do it all the time we add and add and add and we put a load on people am i doing that fifth and final piercing question am i measuring my life in superficial ways. Here's how Jesus put it in the 24th verse of the seven woes of Matthew 23. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Jesus picturesque. Jesus in living color with humor says, do you realize what matters? Are you majoring on the big things? Don't get that wrong. So are you a hypocrite? Anybody recognize this rock and roll band right here? Metallica. This is Metallica back in the day. They were part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I was talking to a friend who's struggling with faith. One of the things he battles is hypocrisy. And I was talking to him about one of his favorite bands, Metallica. Metallica has a song called Enter Sandman. Maybe it's their most famous song. Um, and I ask him to imagine with me a pretend, a silly illustration, but pretend a group of fifth graders were getting together, forming a scrap iron band, and they were going to play Metallica's Enter Sandman at a school assembly. And you go to that assembly. They had a, a month or two to practice and get ready with their instruments and their vocals and everything, and they perform that. Now, how good is it going to be? I mean, these guys, they can bring the rock and roll. 2009 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Third album, Master of Puppets. Y'all know this. But look, you would not judge the song or the band based on the, those kids and what they put together, would you? I asked my friend that. Would you? No. Because you realize those are just kids. And so here's the thing about hypocrisy and walking with Jesus in today's world. We are just like elementary school kids forming a garage band, playing a Metallica song. That's who we are in following Jesus. So I close with this. Lauren and the team, come on up and we'll start making music before we go. But I close with this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit and what? Hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, like newborn babies, like fifth graders playing music, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Live in such a way. This frees me up. I don't have to be perfect, 
But I want to live in such a way when I stumble and fall, I'm never declaring my own goodness. I'm never boasting about how I have it all together, how I've banished all fear and conquered all doubt and perished all struggle. No, I'm just a kid. I'm a child of God. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave a right to become children of God. I'm a child of God, stumbling and growing and learning. I'm not going to get it all right, but I need to crave and hunger and thirst after righteousness and grow into milk and into meat. Would you bow your heads with me?